the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Friday program, which means we've successfully traversed another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is call 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Lots going on this weekend. Tonight I'm going to be teaching uh, out of Galatians. Actually, tonight is just one verse in Galatians and I'm going to do more of a topical that's something that the Lord's really put on my heart. So that is tonight at uh, 7 o'clock. You can watch that at calvarysa.com uh, on the live stream if you are interested. We always have room on Friday night, so you would be welcome here as well. And um, lots going on. Go to church this weekend. Find somebody that you can be a blessing to. Offer your body to God as a living sacrifice and see exactly what it is that he wants to do to use you to be a blessing to other people. That's important. Well, let me get to questions and we will then go there. This person is anonymous uh, from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, what is your take on secular music and movies? Please advise. I enjoy action movies and listen to secular music and would like to know if that's okay. Uh, yeah, Anonymous, it's okay. Um, I don't see R-rated movies, and, and I would never put that on anybody else. Uh, the reason I don't see R-rated movies is just because uh, I don't want um, to run into somebody in the church who may be struggling with some issues and see Pastor Ron in a an R-rated movie thinking, well, they're okay, I'll go see him too. So it's just something that God has asked me to, to give up a long time ago. Now, i got to tell you, Anonymous, I love movies. And, and Paul and I, we just don't get to see movies anymore. And the reason, uh, either they're rated R or they take God's name in vain, and I just can't stomach that. So um, uh, that would be my line. If they take God's name in vain, uh, then then that's just, I, I just couldn't pay money to do that. But uh, other people are not convicted similarly. So uh, it's certainly not, uh, it's, that's between them and the Lord, and I have no opinion about it all. But secular um, music and movies is okay. Music, uh, most music is secular. You know, honestly, um, uh, th- there's some music that I grew up with that I love. I, I just love the Beach Boys. I love uh, Motown. I love 
the Righteous Brothers. I just there's just music, and there's a lot more music that I love. But 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 certainly it is okay to listen to secular music again. I personally would draw the line at music that is profane or music that takes God's name in vain. I certainly wouldn't want to listen to uh, to rap or hip-hop music that is uh, uh, violent or, or uh, is anti-cop or anything like that. Uh, so, so I don't think a Christian should, auto, or should participate in that. But again, that's my personal conviction. And, um, and uh, music in particular uh, is a wonderful gift from God to this world, and uh, there's just a lot of really, really talented people. So, yeah, I have no problem at all with those, and neither should you. You know, the idea that um, because we're Christians now, we have to listen to worship music uh, or we have to to listen to uh, Angel Studios um, movies or something or pure flicks, I think that is extreme and um, um, just just ill-advised. So um, that's my advice. If you enjoy it and you can do it without um, your conscience bothering you, then please feel free to do it. If you enjoy action movies, so do I. Um, and uh, I'm not a huge music person, but, but uh, I listen to uh, some secular music all the time. So it is okay. Uh, as long as it's not the Holy Spirit telling you it's not good for you. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. One other thought. Don't let anybody else tell you what to do, what you should or shouldn't be listening to. Here's a question. This one is from Shirley from our email inbox. Um, I listen to you, Pastor on every single day. I would like to know what to say to a friend who is a 24-year-old transgender still living at home. She comes and speaks with me about it often. Uh, I myself am a Christian and do not want to say something that is not correct. I do know that God does not bless this type of behavior. Uh, and as in Genesis, he created male and female. Uh, although she professes to being a Christian herself, I really don't see that in her life choices. But I understand this is her child, and I want to respect that. I'm having a very difficult time explaining how this behavior is not from God. Please advise. Surely a couple of things. It appears, just on the context of your letter, uh, or your email rather, that that she's invited you in to talk to her about this. And and if she is a friend, then what you need to do is accept the invitation and talk to her about it. And you can say with confidence that this is something that God hates. This is a direct attack on um, men and or women who are created in God's image uh, and is a sin. And uh, I would go one step farther and say people who live like this won't be in heaven. And and if you want your transgender child to be in heaven, then they need to be born again and they need to repent of this kind of sin. And I would be that direct with her about it. And again, if she's speaking to you about it, she's bringing it up. You've been invited into that conversation. Um, um, let me be even more general about this. Um, 24-year-olds who live at home uh, ought to obey the rules of that home. Now, I don't think 24-year-olds ought to be living at home, but, um, you know, there are differences of opinions on that. But um, I would not support um, the lifestyle of a transgender son or daughter living uh, in my home. I would tell them that this home belongs to Jesus. If she's a Christian, and and you can you can put her... Put that directly to her. If you're really a born-again believer, then you can't allow that behavior in your home. you got to express to your child that this is God's house, and we're not going to live a lifestyle that is in opposition to God. And then I would go even one step further and tell her that she has a responsibility as a parent who's going to stand before Jesus and give account of her stewardship over this child. She has a responsibility to tell that child that what he or she is doing is sin. Um, tell this person he needs or she needs Jesus. Um, but to uh, allow it, uh, to promote it, certainly to um, fund it. And by that, I mean you give them free rent and free food and all that stuff. Uh, you're not doing your child any favors at all. 
So this is a place where Christians need to take a stand. And surely we we have people in our church who are going through that very thing, and they're very direct. They're very direct with their children about uh, who they are, and uh, in both cases, those children have been told they've got to live, find some place to live. If they're going to live a lifestyle that is in opposition to God, then they're going to have to find a place to live it and support it on their own. And uh, both of those families that I'm talking about still have um, um, a relationship with their child. The, those children know that mom and dad love them, and um, uh, you know the, the the door has not been closed. Uh, even if that's the case, the child says, "Well, I'm never coming back if you don't accept me for who I want to be." Um, then you got to say bye, and then you cry, and then you pray. But it's very important that because she's invited you in to this conversation, you've got to tell her the truth. It ought to be easy to explain how this behavior is not from God. Um, these children, young people, are being brainwashed uh, over this transgender issue. And and um, surely it's just that we need to be able to throw that, that life preserver out to these people because... Things are a mess, and they know it's wrong, or she wouldn't be talking to you about it. But yeah, you got to say this is right, or this is wrong. You know it's wrong, and you have to deal with it like it's wrong. Thank you for the question, Shirley. Keep praying for your friend. Here is a question anonymous from our mobile app this time. Is it true that Peter was crucified upside down and that his wife was crucified along with him in the same way? Um, Anonymous, I've never heard that his wife was crucified uh, along with him in the same way. Not at all. Not even for a moment. Um, All we have is church legend or tradition that says Peter was crucified upside down. Um, The the saying goes, Peter was credited with saying, no, uh, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that my Lord was. Uh, and so that he asked to be turned upside down, and that was the case. Um, there's absolutely no proof, no evidence at all, uh, historically at all, that that's true. So this is one of the things that when you say that to somebody, you simply say that this is what tradition states, but we don't know if that's true. You know, especially we pastors who who are always looking for preaching material, Anonymous, uh, we have a tendency to grab onto these things, you know, like, well, you know, a shepherd would put the, those wandering sheep around his neck after breaking the legs so that the, the sheep would never leave the shepherd's side again. You know, all that is just silliness. There's no way to prove that, that it's ever been true. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of legends like that. So um, it's not impossible that that was the case with Peter, um, but we don't know it for sure. And we shouldn't make a point. Now, if you have just been told this by somebody, um, there's absolutely no way to verify it at all, and you probably need to talk to the person who told you about it, simply because there's no way to know. You know, those kind of stories have been passed down a long time ago. I'll tell you another one. Uh, the, the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies um, once a year on the Day of Atonement, um, the story is that they would tie a rope with a bell on it to his ankle. And, um, um, you know, as long as the bell was making noise, they knew he was okay. But if the bell ever stopped, because they couldn't go into the Holy of Holies and get him, they could pull him out of it. Uh, and I've, I've, I've even preached that before just because I read it from somebody. Uh, but those are the things that, that there's just no evidence whatsoever about. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. 340-9585 for your calls and questions. We'd love to have them on this Friday program. Here's another anonymous question from our mobile app, Are Angels Only Males? Uh, the answer to that question is yes. Uh, all all things heavenly are, are described in the male gender. Uh, but remember, they're not males like I'm a male. They're, they don't have flesh and blood bodies the way we do. Now, they can take the appearance of humans, um, 
and and they can take the appearance of humans, male or female, but angels themselves are all referred to in the male gender. So uh, that's just the way it is. And uh, you know, people say, well, that's not fair. Well, you have to take that up with the Lord Himself. So yeah, all things heavenly, uh, beings heavenly are described in um, a, a male gender. Here is a question uh, from our email inbox. This one is anonymous. Uh, Good afternoon. I've been listening to your radio show for a while now, and I just want to say how much I appreciate your ability to take difficult questions and answer them simply. I'm simple, anonymous, so that's the only way I can do it. Thank you for the comment. Uh, And then he says, however, I'm struggling with one thing you said. Why do you stress a literal six-day creation week, and why is it wrong for people to believe in theistic theistic evolution. This is so important. This is so important. It's important to believe in a literal six-day creation because that's what the Bible says, period. To describe a day, now how much more clear can the Holy Spirit be? The evening and the morning of the first day. The evening and the morning of the second day the evening and the morning of the third day, and so on and so on. That that Hebrew word yom, it is never used in any Jewish literature anywhere, particularly the Bible, but anywhere, to describe anything other than a literal 24-hour day. That's really, really important. Uh, It's also important because our faith, Anonymous, our faith hinges on it. If theistic evolution is even a possibility. Well, that says two things. One, God is cruel and ineffective, inefficient. But more than that, if Adam and Eve are not the first two humans and they're not real, they're not literal, created on the sixth day by the finger of God himself, and God saw them and said it is very good, if that's not true, then we don't have a faith at all. Our faith hinges on Jesus, and Jesus had to tell the truth. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 19, that in the beginning God made them male and female. He created them. If that's not true, then our faith is based on somebody who is a liar. Colossians describes God as a not lying God. And if God can lie then we're all really, really in trouble. Jesus was without sin. He referred to the creation account. He referred repeatedly to the Genesis account. And if those things aren't true, we've simply sold out. We've compromised for the sake of so-called science. And if you look at the track record of science, they have all these facts. Everybody knows. And then it all changes. A few years down the road, my pastor used to say, you know, when, and he was much older uh, than I am, uh, he used to say, before he went to be with the Lord, he used to say, you know, when I was growing up, things were like uh, millions of years old. Now they're billions of years old. Why? Because that's more spectacular. But it's just that science keeps changing everything. And uh, truly, if Adam and Eve weren't the first two humans on this earth, then we lose everything. We lose the doctrine of original sin. Are we going to, with theistic evolution, are we going to blame monkeys for sin entering the world? Are we going to blame Neanderthals? If we lose the doctrine of original sin, then there's no curse. And if there's no curse, then there's no excuse for our sin. If there's no excuse for our sin, Jesus didn't have to come and die. And I don't think that we understand how to connect the Old Testament, especially that foundation book, Genesis. We don't know how to connect it with the the doctrines that we hold near and dear in our New Testament. That's how important this is. And any Christian, now I realize that there are people who just get saved. And, and, you know, we've, we've had evolution crammed down our throats. We've been brainwashed from the time, even when I went to school. We've been brainwashed that this is the way it is. We evolved from lower life forms. Now science, much of it disagrees. No, it's a big bang. Well, it either is or isn't, and science 
which always begins with the premise that there is no God, has simply tried to come up with a way to excuse it. If evolution is true, why hasn't there been a missing link found? Why haven't we ever seen uh, any kind of evolution, um, one species to another? So here's what we got to do. we got to decide. Do we believe in the beginning God? Or do we believe science that, again, starts with the premise that there is no God? And their facts keep changing. So who are you going to believe it? And it's really, really important. Now, I don't know why you're struggling with it. But if you are a relatively new Christian, I get it. But here's what you got to do. you got to find out. You've got to find out. And until you are willing to really invest in finding out, you're going to come to that place where you have to make a decision. Is the Bible true or isn't it true? And if it's not true in one part of it, Anonymous, it's not true in any part. It's just a worthless book of stories and uh, scare tactics and uh, guilt to being ready to be poured out on people. Um, it's either a book about Jesus or it's not. Jesus made everything that was made. He was the agent. That's what John 1 says. If, in fact, that's not true, then we're all lost. And we really have no hope. So be careful, because this is where compromise begins. And all I want you to do before you compromise, I want you to be sure. Science has a really, really bad track record. On the other hand, God's track record is really, really good. That's how important it is. Remember, no original sin, no reason for Jesus to die, no excuse or reason for our sin nature, no reason for Jesus to die on the cross for us. If the estic evolution were true, Jesus, when he cried out, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, the Father would have said, yeah, it can pass for me. Adam and Eve weren't really real. You've got to make that decision for yourself. Hope you keep listening and hope you really check it out for yourself. Reggie says, oh, funny placement. I know original sin is a legit doctrine, but how can we say babies go to heaven if they are born in sin? Reggie, we're only accountable to God for what we did with what we know. Now, babies are born sinner. John chapter 3, Jesus says that we are born in his conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus says that we are born condemned already. So babies are sinners. If you don't think babies are sinners, we look at them, they're so cute, and they smell so good, and they're so soft and pudgy. But if you don't think they're a sinner, have one. <laughs> because instantly, they're the most selfish human beings on the face of the earth, and they are relentless. That's because they have a sin nature. We don't have to teach kids to lie. We don't have to teach kids the word mine. That's who we are. We're born that way because of Adam, our federal head's sin nature. We've inherited it. But a baby has no ability to reason between right and wrong. And God is just and God is fair. It's very important we understand that. And we're only responsible for what we do with what we know. And that would apply to people with um, uh, decreased mental capacities, uh, those kind of things as well. So it's all about accountability. What did you do with what you knew was right or wrong? And a baby has no capacity to make that choice. So that baby will go to heaven. You remember David when uh, his son died, the son that was a result of his union, sinful union with Bathsheba. Uh, when David uh, stopped crying, he found out that the, the boy was dead. Um, and immediately he got up from his grieving and showered and uh, bathed, rather, and and uh, got dressed and, and broke his fast. And everybody was afraid to tell him, and, and, and they were perplexed because now that he got the bad news, the, the boy is dead. David said this. He said, look, I can't, uh, he can't come to me, but I know I will go to him. That baby is in heaven, 
as are all people who died before the age of accountability. And Reggie, the age of accountability changes uh, from person to person. God is the one who knows exactly when people are accountable. I've seen very, very young people, four and five years old, completely accountable. They knew Jesus. They knew what they were doing is wrong. They repented of their sins. They made a choice. Um, But I've seen 12-year-olds who really weren't accountable, didn't have that same concept or grasp of right and wrong. At some point, we all get to that place, and God knows our heart. We get to that place where we're all accountable, and that's when we are going to be held to account for the things that we did right or wrong. So, yes, original sin is a legitimate doctrine. Um, and, yes, babies do go to heaven even though they are born in sin. Good question, Reggie. Thank you very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We're coming right to the end of the first half of our program. Again, I want to remind you, Tonight I'm going to be teaching a topical um, out of Galatians chapter 6, just one verse, verse 7, and uh, something the Lord has really put on my heart. Uh, So we're going to be doing that here at Calvary Chapel, and on Sunday I get to teach uh, the book of Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas are in prison and they decide to sing. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left on our week, 340-9585. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half, the last half of our Friday program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is an anonymous question for obvious reasons. Uh, Pastor Ron, is it okay for a husband and wife to watch porn together to get in the mood? No, no, no. It's never okay to sin. It's never okay to sin. That is defiling sex. Hebrews chapter 13 says the marriage bed is undefiled or that we are to keep it pure. And certainly uh, porn doesn't do that. I mean, porn is is just the opposite. It's an attack on God's plan for human sexuality. Let me also say this. I think it is a statement, um, a very strong statement about our faith. Do we believe that God will bless our sexual relationships? If we do, then we do it on his terms. We do it his way. And if in case, uh, if in fact that's the case, then um, uh, we don't need artificial stimulation. Now, it's simply not okay. And um, um, I, I, I don't know if this is a man or the wife who's, who's asking uh, this question, but if it's the husband, you're misrepresenting God, you're misrepresenting uh, your wife's value, the things that you will see watching pornography together are not things that God would bless, nor are they things that your wife would enjoy. Um, um, it, it's demeaning. And um, you just need to stop. So it's not okay, Anonymous. Uh, I can't be any more clear about it than that. Rebecca says, Pastor Ron, a blog author I've been reading for a few years, has recently said openly that he no longer believes in a literal Genesis account of creation. I thought he was pretty solid, but what do you say about Genesis? Uh, Rebecca, I just kind of answered this question before the break uh, with uh, the, the, the anonymous question that we got. Um, about theistic evolution, uh, I'd stop reading that blog author. Uh, there, there's, there, there's no value at all, none, um, in reading somebody who is going to start out with the foundation that the, the, the book of the beginnings, Genesis, is not literally true. Um, so stop reading this blog author and find something 
um, more constructive. You know, Rebecca, I say this quite often on this program because I get, well, I've been watching YouTube or I've been reading this or on this blog or this Christian website. Uh, I don't want to be too general here, but but I think I can say generally um, many, if not most, of the so-called Christian websites aren't Christian at all. And uh, a blog author um, has recently said, I've come to the conclusion that Genesis isn't literal, that it's a book of stories, and we get some principles, and there's value in the stories. Well, well, what's not literal? Is Joseph not real? Is Jacob not real? How about Abraham? Is Abraham not real? Um, These things matter a great deal. And so not only is he not at all solid, he never was, because remember, our faith is a faith. This is Jude, the Lord's half-brother. He said uh, he, he wanted to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. Uh, he's never accepted that. You know, if, if that's the faith, if Genesis says, in the beginning, God, and we somehow get so smart that years and years of study have determined that Genesis isn't real, that it's not literal, then how smart are we really? So this is really important. I'll say it again. If the first 11 chapters of Genesis are not real, if they're not to be taken literally, then we have no faith at all. We have no faith at all. And I, I get frustrated, Rebecca, with with people who um, you know, want to sound smart. They want to sound as though they're spiritual. I had somebody actually tell me, well, well, you know, I'm growing in my faith all the time. You're not growing if you're turning away from that, which is true. What was true 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago is still true today. And if we change what was true 5,000 years ago and today decide it's not true, then, then we don't have any truth to hold on to. So this is really a critical issue. And I think with the other question that we got in the first half of the program, Rebecca, uh, I don't need to say a bunch more about it. It's really, really true. Read Henry Morris, um, um, Christian Research Institute. Um, Maybe it's ICR, Institute of Christian Research. But Henry Morris, uh, there's some really, really good, solid stuff out there. And then, as I told the other questioner, uh, we've got to make a decision. Who do we believe? And I want to say this again as well. Science has a really poor track record. Truth keeps changing. That's not intelligent. So get off the Internet. Spend the time in the Bible. I think it would work out really, really well. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is an anonymous question that came in um, from our email. I heard a well-respected pastor, Vadi Bakum, say that youth groups are not biblical. It's a senior pastor's job to minister to the youth. Is he correct? Vadi's a really smart guy, and I like him um, on common sense issues. He is as good as there is, and this is a guy who loves the Lord. But um, Vadi's a traditionalist. He's a, a, a five-point Calvinist. Um, there's just a lot of things you got to pick and choose what you listen to from Vadi. Um, he is um, trying to change a culture. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I guess if you if you go to the to the foundation of different group, youth groups, um, I, I, or just different age groups in the church, uh, we're one body. Uh, and, and personally, this I'm going to give you my opinion here. Personally, uh, I don't like it when there's a college and career group, when there's a singles group, when there's a seniors group, and when there's a, 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 a single wives group, those kind of things, or single moms group. Um, you know, the body of Christ, people need to get together. It's different with youth because the youth are dealing with issues that we never had to deal with. Now, let me tell you, um, Anonymous, I'm, I'm a boring guy. 
And to have an eight-year-old sitting and listening to me teach the Bible at an adult level is torture. And God has given us truly gifted people who can minister to them at their level and do the same thing. So I think the youth groups are important and they have a place as long as the youth group is teaching the word. Now, youth groups have no value at all. If they're doing cool things, if they're if they're trying to entertain the kids, and unfortunately in our church culture, that's typically what happens. But I can tell you in our youth group, anonymous uh, youth groups, from, from the time they're in toddlers all the way through high school, they get the Word of God, they get it verse by verse. Now again, they get it at their level, and they have fun doing it, and they're listening to men and women who are gifted to teach them. But that's a whole lot better than them being born in church. It's a whole lot better than them uh, causing distractions in the sanctuary while the adults are trying to um, um, concentrate on the Word of God being taught. Um, so um, I disagree with Vadi on this issue um, entirely. And having said that, and maybe this is the little hypocrite side of me, uh, I think when when a, a young man or young woman is old enough to really understand, sit still, and listen, uh, especially uh, when they're out of high school, uh, it's time for them to get involved in the body of Christ. Old people need young people. Young people need old people. And that's when the body of Christ begins to mesh. So um, the Bible doesn't talk about youth groups, yay or nay, uh, because it wasn't an issue in the first century church at the time the Bible was written. So we simply need to to uh, understand that perspective. However, um, this is an area where Vadi's missing the mark a whole bunch. Again, I like him. Um, I love listening to Vadi answer questions. I love to hear Vadi addressing uh, cultural issues. Um, but uh, he's just wrong on a bunch of things. His Calvinism is one and his... Um, extreme um, traditionalism, I think, is another. So I hope that helps you. Rebecca, it was Institute for Creation Research. Thank you. ICR, I think I said CRI, but it's um, uh, that's, that's somebody else. So um, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, by the way, you know, uh, we've got a lot of people going to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky on vacations and and people that really know the word and they've all come back really impressed with the the seriousness and the scholarship and the commitment to literalism uh, in that as well so if you're looking for a vacation place that's really good and they've got a ton of information there as well that supports a literal interpretation of genesis genesis Anthony says, I'm investigating a pre-70 AD writing of Revelation. It seems to make more sense to me that it was written in the first century. You know, Anthony, I really didn't understand your question because um, um, Revelation was written uh, for, for those of us who, who take a later uh, authorship of Revelation. Um, that was in 95 AD, so it was also first century. Uh, John wrote that in his mid-90s. Um, um, but, but, but I think the generally accepted dating is, um, um, that late, later dating 90 to 95 AD. Now, the reason I don't think it can be before 70 AD is because there's no mention at all of a current temple. Um, um, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. We know that. And certainly, uh, in the book of Revelation, there would be a reference to uh, a temple. Um, um, but, but the same thing is true in some of the other books that are, are post-70 AD. One of those books is the book of Hebrews. Uh, there would be a mention of a literal operating, functioning temple, and there just isn't anything in there. So um, um, you're right in that uh, Revelation was written in the first century. Uh, but but not before 70 A.D. And the uh, generally accepted dating, uh, 95-ish A.D., 
is is uh, very well supported. Let me suggest a couple of things. John Walvoord, W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D, has um, um, a bunch of commentaries on Revelation. Um, I like just the commentary on Revelation, but he's got more about the, the rapture of the church and stuff. And there's uh, really, really good stuff. There's an old... Um, um, commentator, pre-1948 commentator named William Newell. And his commentary is absolutely excellent. Dwight J. Pentecost. Um, there's another one who um, is, uh, uh, is a good thing, Sir Robert Anderson, The Coming Prince. So there's a lot of information out there, Anthony. Um, but but uh, you're, you're just barking up the wrong tree, I think, if you're looking for a pre-70 A.D. writing of revolution, revelation, I mean. Thank you very, very much. Let me get phone numbers one more time, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. James says, Why did Jesus ask the man in John chapter 5 if he wanted to get well? Wasn't it obvious that he wanted to get well by being at the pool looking for a miracle? James, I'm going to actually be spending time on the man at the, the pool at Bethesda tonight. Um, you know, my theme is going to be um, why, why do we think we can trick God? What, what does God know about us that we think he doesn't know? And uh, Jesus asked the man uh, at the well if he wanted to get well because Jesus knew something about him. Uh, Jesus knew that it was sin that caused his condition. Jesus knew the condition of his heart. And Jesus was really giving him an opportunity to change everything in his life. And and uh, I don't want to get into too much detail because I'm going to be talking about it tonight. But Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? And the reality, James, is that a lot of people don't really want to get well. They want to get well on their terms, and that's certainly the case with this man. Uh, but but it's the case with many people today. If Jesus would come up to you and, and say, do you want to be made well? Uh, and and uh, there were conditions attached to that. We got to stop sinning. You got to do this. You got to do that. A lot of Christians, and I'm talking about real Christians, have decided that we've learned to live in our condition. We don't want to stop doing the sinful things that our flesh enjoy, that our flesh enjoys. So Jesus was simply giving them opportunity to have everything in his life change. And again, when we get to, I think it's verse 14 uh, in that chapter. Um, it makes it crystal clear that this man, um, once Jesus healed him, he, he went running right back into his old lifestyle. So uh, Jesus was just making him accountable and uh, giving the opportunity. If you want to hear much more on that tonight, James, uh, you can watch at calvarysa.com, our live stream on tonight's service. I'm going to be in um, to, to sort of uh, study or to look at uh, Galatians 6, 7. Um, I'm going to look at John 3, John 4, and John chapter 5. Anonymous says, Pastor Ron, I've not been giving at all to my church. I feel ashamed by it, so what should I do? Anonymous, you ought to repent, tell God you're sorry, and then start giving. And you need to give sacrificially. You need to do it. Not 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 at a compulsion. Not because you're trying to assuage your guilt. You do it because you realize that everything you have really comes from God. Thus it belongs to God. Um, you know, it's hard for me to understand people that come to church and don't give. Uh, it's It's hard. I know sometimes people say, well, I don't agree with what you're spending the money on. You know, it doesn't matter if this is your church. Then, then you should give to the ministry of the church. You know, churches are expensive to run. Uh, radio programs like this are expensive to keep on the air. Um, um, hiring staff is expensive. Um, paying rents, uh, utilities, those things all cost money. But, but God gives every church a vision, and the people that call that their church are obligated to support the vision. It's their privilege. I use the word obligation. The, the obligation is to God, but it's a privilege to be able to give to the one who's given everything for us. And so if you feel ashamed, go confess it. Go talk to your pastor and say, I'm ashamed. I should have been giving all this time, and I haven't. Now, if you've been saving your money, give. 
give till it hurts. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And just say, look, I want to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And let the Lord put you in a place where he can bless you. And I don't mean bless you financially. No doubt he will, but that can't be your motive for doing it. But I think you've got to really wrestle with the truth. The truth is, um, God knows that you're cheap, selfish. He wants you to be gracious. He wants you to be generous and selfless. So fix it. That's all you have to do. Fix it. God, I'm so sorry. And then do it. Give because he gave everything for you. 340-9585. Here is a question from Rod. Uh, He says, I encountered a Christian woman who revealed to me that she had same-sex attraction. How should I deal with her? Um, Rod, probably, if she is not giving in to the, the temptation, you should probably congratulate her. Um, she sounds like a very mature Christian. Um, I'm, I'm same-sex attracted, but because God says I can't do it, well, I'm not going to do it. I choose Jesus over that temptation. And then imagine how pleasing that is to the Lord. Now, you know, Rod, one of the things that's not fair, at least from a, a, a human perspective, is that God would ask some people to live completely um, um, abandoning um, the the joy of sexuality in their lives. God has asked single men and single women, hetero or homosexual, God has asked those men and women to live their lives without fulfilling the sexual part of their life. It's that simple. And we make a choice. Do I want to obey God? Jesus said, if you love him, you will obey him. But But are we going to obey him and walk with him and given the opportunity to bless us, or are we going to do what we want to do, and the choice we makes or the choice we make will determine whether or not we're really believers at all? It's that simple. I've had a lot of people, Rod, who've come to me over the years and said, "Well, well, God's made me very sexual. I can't help myself. If He didn't want me to have sex, He shouldn't have made me this way." And and I don't let anybody get away with that. God gave us sex as a gift. We've got to use it on his terms. If we don't use it on his terms, then how can we call ourselves Christians? And so here's a woman who's told you that same-sex attraction. Then your your question should have been, well, then I assume you're living a celibate life. And if the answer is yes, then you say, God bless you. That is so pleasing to the Lord. You've decided that sexual pleasure isn't nearly as important to you as being pleasing to God. And so you congratulate her and you pray for her. And you pray that God would change your attraction. That may or may, or may not happen. But uh, if, if in fact, these uh, temptations, these feelings, then uh, God is really, really pleased with her. So Rod, I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you very, very much. Gregory says, how do you reconcile saved by faith and faith without works is dead? There's no problem at all, Gregory, uh, reconciling those things. James doesn't say, when he says, you show me your faith by, uh, you, you say, uh, I'm saved by faith, but but I show you my faith is real, and that's a sense. My faith is real by what I do. And here's the idea. Uh, James isn't trying to suggest that we're saved by a combination of faith and works. What he's saying is that if your faith is genuine, then good fruit, good works will come from it. So that's all he's saying. You know, the, the Christian that says, yes, I'm saved, but, but there's no, no, no good fruit coming. Now, we can look at the, the list of fruit in Galatians chapter 5 that describes our characteristics. But, but there's all kinds of fruit. If we're sinning, uh, if we're getting drunk, if we're doing these things, then, then we're told that people who live like this won't inherit the kingdom of God. But if the work is good, the fruit is good, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if those are the fruit that people see in your life, well, then good works are being produced. And, and make no mistake, Gregory, we're here. We're saved by grace through faith. 
but we're here to do good works. We're here to function to advance the kingdom of God. And too often, we want to draw that line. No, if I'm saved by grace, I don't have to do works. If you've met Jesus, then good fruit is coming from your life. If you haven't met Jesus, uh, then there's no good fruit that's coming from your life. And, and if no good fruit is coming from your life, it's, it's, it's foolish to, to, to claim or lay claim to salvation. Paul says, what shall we say then? Uh, because we're saved by grace, shall we go on sinning? And I love the King James translation, God forbid. He forbids it. We can't compromise. We can't trample on the grace of God and quench the work the Holy Spirit wants to do. So uh, I'm saved by believing Jesus Christ. But if I've really met Jesus, then good works and, and good fruit is going to be evident coming from my life. So Gregory, that's all that he means. I've got one minute. I can do one more question. This one is a quick one from Iris. She says, I was told that we should not celebrate Christmas and Easter because they have pagan origins. Iris, whoever told you that uh, has no understanding at all of the word. Let me just say that you, Iris, and I, Iris, we have pagan origins. And yet God has redeemed us and used us for his glory. So here's what we do. We take that pagan holiday and we redeem it and make it something significant. And certainly Christmas and Easter are. Think about it, two times of the year where the whole world is thinking about Jesus Christ, whether they love him or hate him, they're thinking about Jesus. Hey, thanks for tuning in. That's it for our time today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful weekend in church. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. I'll be back on Monday. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.